everybody, welcome back to the Renaissance Gentleman Podcast. I'm your host, Peter. And this week, our host, Wesley, is going to be teaching us all about the history of guns. <laughs> Bound to be a good time. Uh, first and foremost, if you haven't followed us on Instagram, go follow us at Renaissance underscore Gentleman. I promise to post something soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but last week uh, we were doing, we were talking about the challenges that we started two weeks prior, the beginning of February. Mm-hmm. I didn't know we had an Instagram, so that's cool. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we have an Instagram. Nice. We don't have a Twitter or a Facebook yet, but because you know Instagram is just easy. Facebook's dumb and Twitter's a dumpster fire, and Instagram's easy. Yep. They cancel us anyway, probably. <laughs> That's very true. So anyway, our challenge for this month was a diet challenge. Everybody had their own. Mine was to do a protein shake and a protein smoothie every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was to eat three square meals a day. And mine was to take sh- processed sugars out of my diet. Hmm. Mine was the intermittent fast. Which I absolutely failed that today. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, might as well kick us off, Peter. How's it how's it going this week? Uh, well, today was uh, pretty terrible. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Go into detail. Go into detail. Go into detail. Come on, tell me how you majorly screwed up. <laughs> how I majorly screwed up. I started eating an hour and a half before I was supposed to. Solely because I was stressed about having to buy new tires today, and I wasn't prepared to buy new tires today. <laughs> you know that that that'll do it. You you have earned that bar. <laughs> that when, when I have to spend nine hundred and eleven dollars that I wasn't planning oh. to spend, joys of owning a truck. Man. <laughs> so how many days did you follow it? All of them except today. So six out of seven. That's good. You definitely passed college. <laughs> yeah, it's a B plus, man. Hey, or probably just hey. a B. But. Any results yet? Or um, down a few ounces. Woohoo! But uh, no major pounds, I don't think. But right. I've been staying off the scale because I get too wrapped up in this number on the scale. Mm-hmm. So I feel good. Okay, well, six out of seven, that's pretty good. Um, I had, okay, I was gone four days this week, um, so I only had two protein chains. Oh. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, my cousin had a bachelor party up Ooh. in Wisconsin, oh. oh, so we went up there for three days. Pennsylvania. Had a grand old time. We yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> you, said, you said you had a wedding in Pennsylvania, though, right? That's in April. Oh, that's uh, in April? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's coming up. But I was so gonna, I was gonna be real upset if you went somewhere warm for four days. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I looked at so I, what I've been doing when I have a long weekend is I look at tickets to Miami Beach mm-hmm. because at one time it was like sixty dollars to fly down there and I could stay for seventy dollars a night at this really nice place right on the beach. So I was like, I mean, I'll just fly down there if I can get somebody to go with me. I'd probably ask you, Peter, or somebody. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, but I looked at it this weekend, and it was like $400 flights. No. And then my cousin called me. He's like, hey, you want to come with us this weekend? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> There's nothing going on. So, yeah, only two days. I had uh, two school days this week, and the, both those mornings I had my protein shake. Because of the snow and the cold? Yeah. There have been just so many snow days this year. Well, no, it hasn't been snow days. Like, I... Well, there, yeah, there's no such thing as snow days anymore now with the Zoom crap. Yeah. Well, I called in sick Friday because I really wasn't feeling great. But then on uh, Monday, we didn't have school. It's President's Day. Yeah. So I had school this morning, and then I had school Thursday and Wednesday. So three school days. So I must have done three protein shakes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. What about you, Wes? Uh, the weekend, I did not have my three square meals, but, you know, that's... Un, not, it's not unexpected because of what I do for a living, which is work at a gun store. So it's the weekends were just crazy busy. It seems like we're always understaffed. We could we could hire 20 people working on Saturday and I'd still feel understaffed. There's just so many people that come in. We, for some reason, keep setting records of people buying ammo, people, you know. It's not so much buying guns anymore because <laughs> there's no more guns to be had. Um 
but yeah, so the three square meals, uh, I had every, uh, you know, today, yesterday, and I got lunch and dinner, obviously, and made sure I had breakfast, but yeah, on weekends, you know, it's like lunch just kind of, you know, by the time we kind of slow down, I look at the clock, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, I'm going to eat dinner again in three hours. I'm not going to have lunch. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, that's not the end of the world. I mean, it's, it's a short day at the, at the shop too. It is kind of scary how many guns people are buying. Yeah. Like, it is a little concerning. It's like everybody's yeah. well, got a gun. And it's interesting. I was talking with somebody the other day, and well, actually a couple hours ago. Uh, it's not like when when the government or somebody threatens, like, okay, we're going to take this away. That's what goes up. For example, when the ATF tried to say that pistol braces for, um, for ARs, uh, if you have a barrel under 16 inches in, in a rifle... Uh, it cannot have a stock on it. So a different way of using it is a pistol brace. So we sold, we, we had, I think it was like 10 uh, very, very nice uh, Rock River Arms mountain pistol, AR pistols. Um, and we had them for quite a while. And then the, the moment that ATF said we're coming after those, we sold like eight of them within a week or something crazy like that. They've just been sitting around since November, so it's really interesting. But you're saying it's not that, or it is that that people are worried it's threatened to be taken away. The like, if it's threatened to be taken away, that's what they go buy. So that's why you're selling so many. Yeah, because they keep because Joe Uncle Joe keeps threatening to take away, you know, ten plus round mags. They keeps take he keeps threatening to take away ARs. He keeps threatening to. You know, he keeps threatening this, and that's what we can't keep on our shelves anyway. We can't keep handguns on our shelves. We can't keep ARs on our walls. I mean, we have lots of bolt actions. We have quite a few shotguns, but he's not threatening to take that away yet. He's only threatening to take away the stuff that, well, people enjoy. <laughs> he can't <laughs> so, threaten shotguns. He has shotguns. Yeah. All you need is a double-barrel shotgun, he said. He's not threatening anything. It's it's the people that are in the country, not Joe Biden. Well, yeah. whoever's running the country. But anyway, sorry, uh, Kamala Harris. That's Kamala. <laughs> All right, Zach. Anyway, how'd yours go? Um, so today I cracked. Um, uh oh. Had some chocolate and I had a Coke from McDonald's. But oh, the Coke was so good. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> and the Coke from McDonald's is for some reason so much better. Is so much better, and I think it's re- because it's like they put. What is it, extra syrup and the straws are wider, so you get no, more. No, so it's the system. temperature. It's the temperature at which they keep the coke on their trailers when they transport it. So oh. yes, it's a concoction of the ingredients, but it's the temperature they keep it at that keep that actually preserves it better. Huh. So, but I'm, I'm sure uh, being packaged in a metal can doesn't do much for the flavor <laughs> either. Yeah. But um, other than that, uh, it's been going pretty good. Uh, I haven't really noticed too much. I haven't stepped on a scale. I haven't... I don't know. The, the only other thing I can really think of is just my energy level in the morning. Make, getting up is a little bit easier, I suppose. Um, not too much. Not too big of a difference. Mm-hmm. It's just been hard disciplining myself to stay on a no processed sugar diet well when everything has processed sugar nowadays mm-hmm. i mean even mm-hmm. for crying out loud bread yep Ooh, bread bread i found really good sourdough bread that i actually like way more than the, the regular bread i was eating before so that was actually kind of encouraging well there yeah. you go mm-hmm. it's good to just discipline yourself if nothing else mm-hmm. so yeah. Okay, well, the topic for this week, uh, Wes, is guns. And uh, have you prepared at all? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing uh, beforehand. Wes, have you done anything else but prepare for this? You know, moment? I have taken breaks after about two hours worth of papers or stuff like that. Every, you have every eight and a quarter pages of information. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, so I'll just... I'll just, you know, kind of hit the highlights of this. I mean, my dissertation will be coming out soon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I'll start, out, I'll start out with my first sentence. Ironically enough, one of the best things to be invented came out of China, gunpowder. Mm, yeah. So China actually invented the, uh, the gunpowder back in the, uh, about 850 A.D., mm-hmm. um, 
and it was originally meant for like fireworks as you know kung fu panda expressed to us um <laughs> but as men Solid have to because <laughs> men have to get their hands on stuff that explode it was quickly turned into weapons and so what that turned into was just basically a bamboo stick with gunpowder inside and a projectile and then they could only use it at short range because it was very short it wasn't accurate whatsoever there's a pretty decent chance of it blowing up in your hands so they only used it basically as they got close to their enemy and then once that was used you can't really use it again and then they would go to swords and bows and arrows and all that stuff um so as time went on uh, basically in the 13th century because of the silk road uh, gunpowder came to europe and that's when uh, they were developed into the matchlock, wheel lock, and flintlock uh, rifles, shotguns, and handguns. So um, just a basic difference between a handgun, a rifle, and a shotgun. A handgun is obviously what it is, a gun that can fit into your hand. Uh, it's not crazy heavy. Um, in today's society, most of the time, it's within three to six pounds, give or take. Uh, the six pound beating like the competition ones that don't have much recoil rifles are obviously longer that have a longer barrel most of the time it's at least 16 inches all the way to i've you know i've seen 30 inch barrels those are for the long range stuff and uh that has rifling throughout the uh through the barrel and then shotguns are usually a smooth bore usually uh they kind of range between like a 14 inch barrel all the way to i've seen a 36 inch barrel which i own one it's awesome and then uh quickly to differentiate between the projectiles uh the rifles and handguns have one bullet uh usually ranging anywhere from you know uh i've from a 17 hmr at like 15 and a half ounces all the way up to 50 bmg at um or not ounces grams but all the way to 50 bmg at like 600 700 uh grains um and then shotguns are bbs or slugs depending on what you are you going to shoot um, now to explain the matchlock. Now matchlock is where a string is lit, and you have it next to the have it next to the gun. And uh, once you pull the trigger, it falls into a flash pan which has powder in it, and that ignition travels through into the barrel, shooting out the projectile. You know, igniting the powder, shooting it onto the you know the assailant. A really good um, version of that is in Disney's uh, the adaptation of Pocahontas. Uh, that's when uh, John what's his name john smith john smith uh is like uh, behind the waterfall as pocahontas is kind of looking for him again and he's like that's that's actually a matchlock that's that's a pretty good adaptation of a matchlock oh mm -hmm. uh, wheel lock instead is uh came about a little bit later uh, i think it was the french who invented that uh the wheel lock is where you know the hammer is cocked back and that has a spring and then when that when the trigger is pulled, uh, the, it's a spring-loaded steel wheel um, spins against a piece of pyrite to generate a bunch of sparks, which then ignite the gunpowder and which goes into the, you know, the touch hole, as it's called, um, shooting out a projectile in the in the barrel. <laughs> yes, there's going to be a lot of yeah. Just be mature, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, it gets worse. Um, and it a really good adaptation <laughs> and a good adaptation of this is 2011 Three Musketeers. They have quite a few of them in there. Uh, that's with uh, Christoph Waltz and uh, a bunch of other uh, characters. Yeah, I know it. I never saw it either, but according to the internet, that has a bunch of uh, wheel lock uh, pistols and stuff like that. So is it. the wheel lock more advanced than the? Yes. What yes. you say before? Yeah, the uh, match lock. Oh, okay. So um, matchlock came first, and then wheel lock, and then flintlock. So flintlock uh, has been seen in all the old types of movies. So Jack Sparrow, you know, like in Cap Pirates of the Caribbean, um, in uh, Les Mis, uh, in you know the streets of Paris, they all use flintlock rifles. It's kind of the most common. Uh, that's what was used in the uh, American Revolution, of American Revolutionary War. Um, that's where a piece of flint is used to strike the cover of the pan, uh, or they're called a flash pan lid, also creating uh, sparks and then uh, pushing that out of the way, igniting the powder, sending the projectile forward. So, uh, by the time of the American Revolutions, uh, firearms have become quite a bit advanced. Um, now they're using you know, 
they're using it for hunting, they're using it for war, and in the American Revolution, uh, it was mostly hunters and farmers and people that, you know, used them for to live, versus the uh, British Empire, which had um, quite a few of them, and they were used specifically for war. And ironically enough, the hunting rifles that, um, that the Americans used could be loaded in roughly about a minute, a shot a minute. Versus the British, which could do, uh, which the British muskets could do basically three shots a minute. So even though the British were less accurate, they could do more shots, which is why, um, which is where the first sharpshooters came into play, um, was the American Revolution, uh, basically snipers. And in uh, 1776, George Washington established the Springfield Armory in Springfield, Massachusetts. And by 1790, the armory began producing their own firearms. 1776. What a year. Mm-hmm. What a year. So by um, 1816, uh, Elefante, Ele- I don't really know how to pronounce his first name, but Remington actually started producing his own flintlock rifles, and uh, Derringer began doing the same thing around the same time. And then... All the way in uh, 1836, Samuel Colt invented what's now called the revolver. So the revolver is actually a lot older than what it seems. It was no longer flintlock, but was called a percussion cap. So a percussion cap is where all, all the spark and everything is in a small cap that's placed onto a, and get this, a nipple. And um, as soon as the hammer strikes it, it creates a spark, giving uh, the powder explosion and sending the projectile forward and it's also a multi-system so as you pull the hammer back it turns the turns the cylinder so that way you have instead of one shot you have now up to probably about six shots um at the old there's an old saying an old slogan for colt uh god created man sam colt made them equal because of that all right, so by the 1850s, the revolver patent lifted, and a bunch of people jumped on that. So Smith & Wesson was one of the big ones, and instead of a what's now called a single-action revolver, where in today's modern era, you put the bullet in each cylinder, turn the cylinder, one bullet in, turn the cylinder, one bullet in, and as you fire it, you have to eject one at a time. Uh, Smith & Wesson came out with what, you know, what is now a swing-out so that way, instead of doing one at a time, you could do all six, mm-hmm. and that makes it a whole lot faster. They also invented what's now called a double-action revolver. So instead of having to pull the hammer back each time, all you had to do was pull the trigger, and it's a long trigger pull, and the hammer comes back and then fires forward once the trigger gets to the end. And as the trigger comes forward, that resets it, and you get to do it all over again. And it's Smith & Wesson, not Weston. That's yeah, what Weston. a lot of people don't understand um and so the biggest enemy uh to the firearm has always been moisture has always been water because once the powder comes in contact with water it soaks it up and it's basically mud so that's where the the as i stated before the percussion cap came into play so uh the copper cap was filled with mercury nitric acid and alcohol and then it was stuck onto the nipple at the beginning of the barrel. When the trigger pull, the hammer fires and sending the flame through the barrel, igniting the power and pushing the bullet downwind. So most firearms were muzzle loaders, meaning uh, I guess all firearms were muzzle loaders. So that means that you have to put the powder in separate and then the bullet. Versus in today's culture, you have a cartridge containing everything and you just have to put it in your either magazine or the barrel to shoot it. Right around the uh, 18, what is that? About the 1840, 1840s, 1850s is where the idea of a bullet came about, where everything is combined. So it really started actually with shotguns. Another way of having more ammunition downrange, having more projectiles downrange, is more barrels. So that's about where the double barrel shotgun comes into play. So you have um, a new idea where you have your primer your powder your uh projectiles in a cartridge um loading it from the back making it a lot faster a lot easier and uh, less absorbent to the moisture so yeah back uh, the double barrel shotgun uh which is still produced to this day and is a personal favorite of uh upland bird hunters so like grouse quail uh chucker stuff like that um so this comes to the spencer repeating rifle 
uh, the Spencer rifle, which was the first multi-round holding rifle in development, and it was used um, at the start of the Civil War. Um, it was actually a personal favorite of Abraham Lincoln. So now it holds instead of you know instead of one shot reload one shot you have multiple rounds probably around about three to five rounds and uh, it's a lever action so when you shoot it bang bullet goes out uh, you bring the what's called a handle or a a lever uh, down which ejects the spent cartridge and once you bring it up that you the magazine that's in there uh, brings a new cartridge into the barrel and there you're ready to go again like an old western right? exactly you know you see it all in all the old westerns the riflemen stuff like that so which one did now lincoln the, like uh the spencer rifle it yeah. was called now the lever didn't activate the hammer on the spencer did it i don't think it did no no um and then henry um which started the henry Re- repeating rifle company uh which is still in i have one of those yeah which is still in in, in today um still being created and stuff like that today awesome. um he also you know saw the patent and uh it was years it was i believe after the civil war when he really started punching in the re- repeating rifles the repeating rifle helped with a lot more shots so instead of one to three shots per minute you're now up to 18 to 24 shots a minute so you're getting a lot more ammo downrange you're now because of the rifling and stuff like that because of the way that stuff is uh the way the projectiles are shaped you um you get a lot more accuracy uh Can which say is that one more time instead of how many shots uh one to three it's 18 to 24 wow yeah huge difference very big difference and in the early 1960s the classic gatlin gun oh, yes. is created um, which now could be fired around 200 times per minute. When was that? Uh, early 1860s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it is a gravity-fed, a gravity magazine-fed, multi-barrel, hand-cranked uh, firearm um, that as you crank it, usually with every rotation is uh, two shots. Um and the reason for the rotating barrels is so that the barrels wouldn't get overheated. Um, otherwise, you could just, you know, use the same use the same barrel and things would be okay. But because of the powder, the projectile, the heat, you need multi-barrels in order for them to stay cool and stuff like that. Um, it can easily be seen in quite a few Western movies. Uh, in the most recent is the uh, uh, Magnificent Seven. With Denzel Washington. And, Great and, movie. Yep. It's a good Big movie. fan. So after the Civil War, um, firearms and the technology that was with them jumped forward by leaps and bounds. Uh, the biggest influence would be John Browning, uh, which he started the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in 1883. Um, he also pushed for the new pump-action rifle, so which can be seen on quite a few of today's shotguns. It's not super, not super common in rifles, just because uh, we have bolt action as well as um, as well as lever action and obviously semi-automatic. Um, so pump is where, as you know, the bullets fired, um, you bring the forend back, sending the spent car- cartridge out, um, and as you put it forward, the uh, new cartridge and bullet go into place, and you can pull the trigger and so on and so forth. Um, this is good for not only speed, um, because instead of using your firing hand to, you know, load and, you know, cock the rifle again, um, to put a new cartridge out and put a new bullet in, you're using your non-dominant hand, which you can keep, you know, keep your finger on the trigger. And in a lot of cases for old shotguns, all you had to do was hold your trigger down and continue to pump and it would actually fire (laughs) there have been a couple of times at the shop where my uh one of my associates our gunsmith uh has said hey this one is the slam fire is what it's called so as you throw the pump forward it fires and so on and so forth um John Browning would go on to patent about 128 gun patents he's the most influential gun 
man in existence. Uh, he created, um, he patented a plenty of guns and their designs, specifically the 1911 uh, handgun, the Browning Automatic Rifle, or the BAR, the M2, otherwise known as the Ma Deuce, and those were used extensively in uh, uh, the BAR, used extensively in World War One, and then the Ma Deuce in World War Two. So that brings us to the World Wars. In 1884, Hiram Maxim uh, pushed for the idea of a machine gun forward with the Maxim gun, which was a recoil uh, energy, fully automatic uh, machine gun, uh, and that could fire up to 600 rounds a minute. So that is quite a bit, um, and was used extensively in World War I. Uh, the Germans made their own, and the U.S. brought over the BARs, and that the reason and the, all of those firearms basically became the reason of trench warfare because as soon as your head would pop up lots of bullets would be coming at you mm -hmm, yeah. so that's the reason for the trench warfare was because of the machine gun because no man's land you could not get across it without a barrage of bullets spraying you down so what i'm seeing here is revolutionary war it was one to three bullets a yeah. minute civil war you said 18 to 24 bullets could be fired in a minute from those new rifles mm -hmm. and now we're at 600 in yes. world war one yep that accounts for the death toll i feel like yep. in each war <laughs> <laughs> yep um and then right at the end of the war came probably the most famous united states gun in the world the united states gun the tommy gun so uh invented by john john thompson it was too late for the first war but as soon as World War II started, it was put right into action, uh, used in the Korean War and the, and um, some Vietnam War. Um, actually, have a Vietnam veteran that uh, works with me, and he was talking about the Tommy gun, and he's like, "Yeah, it was it was horrible because it uses a 45 ACP round, which is slow and really fat. I mean, it hits hard, but it's slow, so it couldn't get through the brush." Unlike a five five six, which is what they used for the for like you know the Vietnam War and stuff like that. No, I also heard with the Tommy gun, it it had a tendency to kick real bad. Yeah, you could easily lose control of it. Yeah, but the thing was is that you could have fifty hundred round drum mag with it. So you what you lack in accuracy, you make up for in capacity. In capacity. Now it was invented after World War One. Yes. Right. Okay. Because I was thinking, I've just seen movies about the. What are the, they outlawed alcohol. What is it? Prohibition. Prohibition. Um, and they had Tommy guns in those. So yeah. I figured it must be. Unless yeah, they got right out of the World War I. Yeah, and okay. that was the other thing. It was originally meant for cops, but gangsters soon got their hands on it, and they needed something that wasn't extremely heavy, but still could put a, quite a few rounds down range, and the forty five was uh, was easily accessible. Uh, in World War II, the 1911 Tommy uh, M1 Grand semi-automatic rifle and the BAR uh, was used by the U.S. soldiers. Uh, the M1 Grand was the first standard-issue semi-automatic military rifle, um, which is... I want one of those. It's, so bad. They're so cool. They really are. They're still being made by Springfield. Uh, they cost you right around 1500 bucks for a decent one. Um they still use the 30 out six caliber, which to explain 30 out six, it's a 30 inch or 0.3 inch um, diameter bullet made in 1906. So it's 30-06. So it's 30 out six is still a very good hunting caliber. <laughs> I bought one. This brings us to 1947. And I think you can guess where I'm going with this gun. The I can't. Can you guess? Nope. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, 1947. World War II's over. Where are we going? Oh, uh, Cold War, right? Mm -hmm. Cold War. Going to Korea. Soon. I still don't know. The AK-47. Oh. Uh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Invented by Mikhail Kalishnikov for the Soviet military using the uh, 7.62 by 39 millimeter uh, cartridge. 
the Russians weren't subtle about anything. The Mosin-Nagant, which they used for World War One and World War Two, was produced in mass uh, because it was cheap to do, as well as you know they had a bunch of ammunition. They only had to do one ammunition, um, so they made that in mass. And it was the same thing with the um, with the AK. It's guesstimated that there are around 400 million guns. Um, at least in like 2013, there were around 400 million guns in the world. And of that, a uh, hundred million of them were um, Russian. And of that 75 million of them were AK 47s. So they, they got around. Um, it was extremely reliable. It was cheap to produce. Uh, it was cheap to make. It was easy to clean. It was easy to, it's just it's just very very simple. It's very crude. The AK-47 is a very crude gun, um, but it's hard to kill it. So that got their way in the hands of the Russians, and eventually the Vietnamese, of which you know in the Vietnam War uh, we were fighting them in, with you know Tommy guns and other guns like that, and the AK-47 was just beating us crazy. So they needed something that was better that more that competed with the AK-47 which came to today's AR-15 um, or in the Vietnam case M-16 now the difference between the AR-15 and the M-16 of you know Vietnam area was um, the ability to go full auto with the M-16 and that's still true today the M16 um, is the military's version of it where you can go semi-auto or full auto. There are some that can go three-round burst, but they don't like them. I've asked veterans. They hate the three-round burst. They really do. Um, and then civilians uh, today can own the AR-15, um, which you can only do semi-automatic rifle. And... Uh, now, for the sake of everyone's sanity, please explain AR. So AR does assault not rifle. stand for assault <laughs> rifle. It stands for Armalite Rifle Model 15. Now, Armalite was a small company uh, that w- that ran from the 1950s to the 1980s. Um, they first got their, you know, created the AR-1, AR-2, blah, 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 and then the AR-10 and the AR-15. Now, the AR-10 used the original 30 at 6 and now now uses the 308 which is a shorter 30 at 6 but still has the range and capabilities that a 30 at 6 does and the ar15 which uses the 556 by 45 um and then because they weren't having success in the market they gave they license to colt who then took it to the military and the military loved it they had good chance with it and then politics got involved and finally one of the generals says nope we're doing the M16. We need them. Let's get them over to the Vietnam. So they produced en masse and sent them over. And in today's culture, the Vietnam M16 is is kind of coveted. It's one of those. It's like, man, I wish I had one mm-hmm. because it's just it's a, it's just a classic. So uh, that basically takes. So was the M16? Did that actually rival the AK47? Yes, um, because the M16. Um, had a little bit different, uh, but both still gas operated. Uh, the 5.56 is a smaller round. Uh, it's faster and uh, doesn't hit as hard, but you have a longer range. Um, and it was able to cut through the bush, unlike the Tommy gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also light. Uh, they wanted it to be about six pounds with a 20 round mag. So you had it a lot lighter. Um, you had very, very capable. You had cap- um, with full auto, you had pretty good you know stay on site stay on target versus the ak which put it on full auto and you're just going everywhere with it it's not it's again it's a crude gun it's not super accurate if they wanted to they they didn't want it to be a a sniper rifle they made the dragon off for that as the video games have told us um so it was never meant to be uh, never meant to be a purpose weapon they just the Russians just made the AK for the mass and said, here's the bullets to go with it. Versus the M16, which was meant to kill through the bush. It was meant to put multiple rounds downrange on target. Um, and you and with uh, 
with a 20 inch barrel you could easily get 500 yards with relative with probably one or two moa so it was supposed to be the best of both worlds yes that's supposed to be light accurate but also move ammo downrange yes that AK-47 is very Russian. It's very like sounds like the Russian military. <laughs> it, it just really throw guys at the enemy. Yeah. Well, in World War, what is it? Two. Yeah, Two. it was World War Two. Um, when the Germans were invading Russia. I I just watched that movie, Enemy at the Gates. Yeah, that's oh, a good one. They um, what they would do is they give one they, they throw in guys into battle. They give one guy a rifle mm-hmm. and the next guy in line the bullets. Mm-hmm. And said, "Good luck." I guess I'm curious just to see, like, with all with all this history we've gotten so far, what about the laws that have come into play? Yes. So, way way back, um, back in actually Prohibition era in 1934, the National Firearms Act uh, was imposed, and this is this next quote is literally straight from the ATF. Um, the 1934 National Firearms Act purpose was impo- was to impose a tax on the making and transfer of firearms as well as a special tax on persons and entities engaged in the business of importing, manufacturing, and dealing of NFA firearms as well as any other weapon. That's straight from the ATF, that the 1934 Act was specifically to target guns and people that dealt with guns. Uh, according to ATF, while the NFA was enacted by Congress as an exercise of its authority to tax, the NFA had an underlying purpose to curtail, if not prohibit, transaction of NFA firearms. And four years later, in 1938, the Federal Firearms Act required gun manufacturers, importers, and dealers to obtain a federal firearms license, which is still in today, um, and it also defined who could and could not be in possession of a firearm. And then one year later, it was determined that Congress had the right to choose which firearms are reasonable to the preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia. So the Second Amendment states that um, that a well-regulated militia, you know, it shall not be infringed. Um, and in 1939, Congress decided, well, we get to decide what a well-regulated militia stands for. Um so it doesn't take very long. What is that? 1776 to 1939. That's not very long for the country that was founded by, a, you know, to get rid of tyranny, to, you know, have personal freedoms, to to say, well, let's, you know, we get to decide what that actually means when the founding fathers say shall not be infringed, which shall not is much more you know much more stern than than should not be infringed mm-hmm. shall not is a command mm-hmm. um so uh the case from uh United States versus Miller basically said that a a person that has a uh firearm that doesn't you know make the well regulated militia make sense so and I believe it was in, I believe it was in 1939, the United States versus Miller. Uh, Miller had a shotgun with a barrel, with a very very short barrel. I think it was a double barrel shotgun. It was very very short. And he says, "Well, this is you know for my protection, blah blah. You know, it's for my um, right to bear arms. It's for my regulated, well regulated militia." And Congress basically said, mm, "No." So now you have Congress deciding on what is what is you know firearms that are good and bad what what can we control so 30 years later in uh, 1968 following the assassination of president john f kennedy uh, senator robert kennedy uh, and dr martin luther king jr uh, president lyndon b johnson pushed uh, for the passage of the gun control act Um, according to this its goal was to replace the ffa uh, Federal Firearms Act and add language to it imposing more restrictions than before. And I quote, the bill banned importing guns that have no sporting purpose, imposed age restrictions for the purchase of handgun to 21 years of age, uh, prohibited felons, mentally ill, and uh, quite a few more from purchasing guns and required that all manufacturers or, Im- or imported guns have a serial number. 
Uh, it also imposed stricter licensing and regulation on the firearms industry. So if there is a firearm, and I have a couple of them, that do not have a serial number, that means it predates 1968. Uh, those are uh, still legal, still very legal. You know, you still can do that. Um, but it kind of dates things. So in 1968, Lyndon Johnson wanted to you know, push for more and more regulation and especially the importing of guns that have no sporting purpose. Now that's up to interpretation because in my opinion, an AR style shotgun and a, you know, an AR in general, they have sporting purposes, just a different sport than what maybe you're used to versus a double barrel shotgun. So, um, so the U S versus Miller, it was that a restriction on people's gun rights or it gave people more gun rights restriction. So that was the, basically when Congress said, well, no, we get to decide what kind of firearms you can have because you say that it's for well-regulated militia, like the second amendment says, mm-hmm. but we don't deem that as like a short shotgun. So in today's society, you have to have a shotgun that is allowed to have a stock with an over an 18 and a half inch barrel. So, um, with the full length being um, over 26 inches. Um, so that's why you see something like a, what's called a, a shockwave, a Mossberg 590 shockwave with a 14 inch barrel, but it doesn't have a stock. It has a hand grip. That's legal because it's not considered a shotgun and it doesn't have a stock. If I were to take my, let's say, um, my shotgun, my Remington 870, and cut the barrel down to uh, 17 inches and keep my stock on it, that is highly illegal, and I will go to jail for it if they catch me. So, um, in 1986, the Firearm Owners Protection Act was passed. Um, This act softened the rules and regulation of the firearm industry including limiting the ATF visits, um, which was big because ATF was constantly, you know, showing up at uh, gun manufacturers and gun stores and stuff like that, trying to, trying to, you know, impose their restrictions. Uh, it also softened the civilian rules of selling firearms, uh, which gave more option to the state, which is nice. Um, and then uh, gun shows were good to go as long as the dealers were from the same state. Um, regulations on ammo softened that a lot, uh, both in sale and transfer of that. Um, it also gave the ability to civilians to own and operate a machine gun. So a gun that can go full auto, uh, so long it was made before, uh, May 19th of 1986. So, um, there is a company out in Pahrump, Nevada called Front Sight. I've been to it a couple of times. They have an option on the on the middle of the first day, so you can shoot full auto. I've shot a full auto Tommy gun. I've shot a full auto uh, M16. I've shot a full auto HK MP5. It's awesome. It's really cool. But all of those uh, predate either they predate 1986 or they have a special tax bracket that they're in. So it's kind of the way around that one. So have you heard of... Uh Texas gun experience in the DFW area. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they they have all the uh... good ones. Jeez, Isaac. So they have all the uh, paperwork and whatnot, all the licensing. Mm-hmm. So you can actually shoot full auto there. Now it might be a little different for them because both of the owners and founders are former military. Mm-hmm. Last time I heard about it, all of the instructors and gun range monitors are also former military. So, Mm. very knowledgeable people and very familiar with full auto, but I think that's pretty cool. Yep. And at least in, like, for example, where we are, Illinois, Mm -hmm. civilians are not allowed to have full auto. However, cops are. Cops are also allowed to have suppressors which is kind of cool. You're also allowed to have short barrel rifles, which means anything under a 16-inch barrel. So yeah, when I was anything under an 18-inch? Uh, for shotguns. For shotguns. Oh, but you're saying for like... For rifles oh, is 16-inch barrel. No, I thought it was weird because I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast and Stephen 
Stephen Rinella. Hmm. He has a weird last name. Stephen Rinella was talking to a guy that's from Scotland, and the guy from Scotland thought it was so weird that we can go down to the store and buy a gun, but we can't buy a suppressor. We have to wait like a year until all the paperwork gets approved. Yeah. For by ATF, but in Europe, you can go down to the store and buy a suppressor. It's buying the gun that takes a long That's time difficult. to do. That's interesting. Because like all the hunters in Europe, they all hunt with a suppressor because that's part of their gun regulatory because of the big sonic boom that happens afterward. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. So, but uh, before you continue, yep, for the sake of time, um. So tell us today, all these restrictions that have gone in place over the years, how do those affect gun owners today, and what is that, the ones that they're currently talking about, how does that affect the future of gun owners? So the ones that they're currently talking about, uh, specifically H.R. 127, Mm -hmm. uh, that one is evil. So to to sum up H.R. 127, you have to, if, 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 if it becomes passed, you have to register within three months. You have to register all your firearms that you have in the house. You have to register all your ammo, and you have to you have to register where they are in the house to a website that will be publicly accessed. So that's an invasion of privacy. That is a big invasion court. of privacy, and so that not only means that. Well, the government has access to exactly where you have the firearms in your household as well as the ammo, but your next door neighbor, the bad guy down the street, you know, everybody has access to where that is. Not to mention that uh, Joe Biden has been pushing the ban of his quote unquote assault rifles or they are 15 because it looks scary. Um, anything with a plus 10 round magazine capacity which is most handguns nowadays that is that is definitely most ARs and in some circumstances some bolt actions because some bolt actions have plus 10 round magazine capacity that's the way it is so it doesn't usually include shotguns because most of them are 3 to 5 round capacity Um, that doesn't include smaller Handguns, which usually have around eight, six to eight, if you're doing like a conceal and carry. Um, but yeah, that's that's what that is, and it's actually interesting uh, to finish up to finish this up real quick. Um, in 1993, Clinton signed into law um, that uh, when a person is buying a gun, it requires a background check to be completed from a licensed dealer. And from 1994 to 2004, there was an assault weapons ban. There, w- there was an AR ban, um, banning the ability to manufacture, transfer, transfer, possess a semi-automatic rifle, and certain high-capacity ammunition magazines of more than 10 rounds. So finally in 2004, that was taken away. And I think a lot of people in today's society who have ARs don't want to go back to that because we remember what it's like. Um, and another thing that's kind of interesting, uh, Biden signed into one of his many executive orders, um, that there used to be a law signed back into 2000, back in 2005, that manufacturers were not liable for, for gun, you know, stuff like, you know, murders and stuff like that. Well, Joe just took that away. So manufacturers, big and small are now liable they can be up for suit um, in court so that way people can sue them if there's a wrongful death or something like that when really it's not the gun it's the person but nobody understands that nowadays that's crazy that's, that's insane. absolutely insane yeah. All everything you just said there was insane mm-hmm. yeah. so that is basically the history of guns in a 45 minute segment so what are the chances of that bill being passed? Like, what's the feeling at the gun shop? Are people worried about it? You know, it's kind of interesting. 
um, there are some people that are nervous, but there are some people that, that it's not a nervousness. It's more like if it needs to happen, I will rack my firearm and go to war because this blatant attack on our rights will lead to a civil war. It will. That's kind of the way it's looking right now because we as Americans are sick and tired of the elites telling us working class what to do. And it's going to be it's going to be war if they try to come after our firearms. One because we won't do it. We won't, you know, if HR 127 gets passed, we won't do it. You're going to have to you're going to have to physically come to every single household and actively look for guns, which unfortunately I lost in the boating accident. <laughs> you can't prove it. Oh darn. Too bad, so sad. And if you catch me, which there's not really gonna happen because all my guns were lost in the boating accident, um, there's a chance that I will be spending ten to fifteen years in jail with a huge fine. But you're gonna have to come to every single household to do that. You're going to have to come to every single household to look for guns, to, you know, to register them, each and every single one of them. You're going to have to, because that, because that won't work. You can't get the police to do it because they won't do it because the ones that are backing the blue are the ones that have the 30 round mags. You're going to, you're not going to be able to do it the army to do it because they're not going to say, okay, I'm going to go into each and every single one of my veteran brother's houses and tell them, give up your rights. So that's why they're talking about Biden creating this elite force. Or this, not elite force, but this new force or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, because the police and the military won't enforce it. They will laws. not enforce it. Before that's the in, before inauguration, the FBI did a, a background check and a basically a one-on-one with, I want to say, every soldier that was at that was at the White House for inauguration because they were afraid of protests and stuff like that to make sure that they were still loyal to Biden. Mm. Not to the country, not to the people of the country, to Biden, to the president. Mm. They are sworn to defend the United States Constitution and the people of these United States, not a president. They are not sworn. They are sworn to defend our way of life. They are sworn to defend the people. They are not sworn to defend a tyrant. You know, I, I get it. That I get though that they had to do that at the time. I get that they had to say, "Are you loyal to Joe Biden?" You can't have soldiers surrounding the Capitol who are loyal to the U.S. and for them that means Trump. And for some of them, it means Biden. So I, I do get that they had. I mean, I, I don't necessarily like that I, question, but I get that they I did understand that. why they worded it that way. Yeah. Because they wanted to make sure these soldiers still respected the office of president. Mm-hmm. And if it was flipped around, I'd want them to do it for Trump. Yeah, but if I respected the office of the president, that, that means you respect what the country stands for. If the president doesn't stand for that, why should you stand I for I know, that? man, but the other side will say the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, the four years that Trump didn't respect the office, that's what they said, for four years he made a fool out of it, which is not true, according to us. But, but so, yeah, there, if, if H.R. 127 gets passed, there is, a, there is a chance there could be some sort of a civil war, and it will be a quick war. It will not be, it, it won't be like the War of 1812, it, you know, which is a blip in history. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, it'll, it'll be lasting. The effects will be a, a long, long time until we get a new tyrant in office. But it will, that's, that's what will happen. There will be a civil war between those that adore the Second Amendment and those that are trying to force people to be slaves. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen what happened in communist China. We've seen what happened in Venezuela. You know, what used to be one of the, I think it was the second richest country in South America, mm-hmm. turned communist and within 50 years is now a hub of sex trafficking and drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I think people realize you can't take over the country that way. You're not going to yeah. do it physically. And that's why this whole COVID thing is they're not controlling people by force. They're controlling people in I their fear. mind. Yeah. I fear. Well, and, that, and and the other thing is they're, they'd be stupid to go after the guns. Mm-hmm. What they're going to do is they're going to go after people's wallets. They're going to say, hey, if you turn in these 20, 30 round mags, 
will give you a discount on your taxes. But if you have them, you're going to pay taxes. You're going to pay lots of taxes. It's going to be, you know, King John from the old novels. Mm. You know, we're going to tax you to death. Because if you're not going to follow the rules, then we're going to punish you. If you're not going to follow our rules, even though our rules are against what this country stood for, we're just going to tax you to death. Mm-hmm. That's what I think what what is going to happen once our HR 127 fails in in Congress. Yeah, they'll, At least I pray they'll it make it so ungodly expensive to own guns that they hope nobody wants to own guns. Which is one of this is you know what Australia basically did. It's what New Zealand did. Did it's what the UK did. You know, even police officers don't own guns, and you have to you know do so many things with your hunting guns, but. You know, an example is Australia. They did a gun buyback, I don't know how many years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Well, rapes have more than doubled. I was talking with a client, um, a customer who's there all the time. We we love him. Hi, Bob. Um, and he and I were discussing it, and basically it's come, you're anti-gun, well, then you're pro-rape. Hmm. That's what that's what you are because when gun confiscation happens when nobody has the ability to protect themselves bad things follow because guess what bad guys don't follow rules anyway you take away the ability to protect yourselves from the good guys the bad guys have a free day why would the sheep don't like the sheepdog's rules but without the sheepdog the wolf has free reign mm-hmm See that to me, it's like that's common sense. How could how could anyone disagree with that? But I'll ask my students, like, what's your thoughts on it? And a lot, probably fifty fifty. Half of them are for for people owning guns, and half of them aren't because they're dangerous. But why would you not be? I mean, if you're there, these same kids are afraid to breathe the air around them. Like they're afraid of everything. So yeah, they're gonna be afraid of guns, and they're gonna look to somebody to take them away. Mm. You know, but there's not that thinking doesn't go. You have to think about it. Think about it for just just a second. Think about it. It doesn't make any sense to take away guns from people. But Well, and that's what they've been fed into. It's what the media has told them to say. Mm-hmm. They've been watching video games. They've been playing John, you know, they've been playing Call of Duty. They've been watching John Wick. You know, these elites have these guns and they're bad guys and all the bad guys have guns. Well, then, therefore, guns equal bad guys. Mm-hmm. Guns are guns bad. So... It's easy to get your mind twisted, but the other thing is, is it's just a lack of experience. I've had so many people over this past year come into the gun store and they're buying their first gun. And a couple of people have said, I can't believe I'm doing this. Can't believe I'm doing this. And I tell them, I said, if you cannot pull the trigger to defend your life, your family's lives, your household, your way of life, do not buy a gun, buy a dog. Mm -hmm. Do not buy a gun if you cannot do what needs to be done. There was a, um, I don't know if, I said, if I've told this, but uh, there was a, a break-in, uh, two houses down at my uncle's house. At my uncle's house. Guy came in, and uh, my uncle and my aunt were watching TV and facing away from the door, and he came in and slugged my uncle in the head and knocked him out. And somehow my aunt got him outside. Um, and he, she called my dad and says, you know, and he was like, that's kind of weird. He, she, she's two, dad, she, two doors over. Mm. Called somebody outside there's somebody outside okay have you called the cops yet no i said you call the cops i'll call the neighbors so he gets me and my little brother upstairs and says don't open the door for anybody but mom and dad mm-hmm. there's you know some bad guy outside that's all you need to know he calls the neighbors and it's one of those conversations like shut up and listen bad guy outside lights on guns loaded and it's it's not one of those neighborhoods you want to come to unannounced it's just it's just not healthy so he goes into the closet to get the shotgun. Um, he loads he loads it, and there's a little voice inside his head that says, if you can't pull the trigger, put it away. Shushunk. Mm-hmm. And one more for good measure. Yeah. And, that, and that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, as, much, as fun as guns are, if you're not willing to pull the trigger to save your own life, to save your family's life, don't buy a gun. Buy a dog. So, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, that was good. Yeah. yeah. 
Alrighty, well, thanks for listening to the Renaissance Gentleman podcast. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.